This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 43 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we listen in on a conversation between horse trainer Monty Roberts and animal science celebrity Temple Grandin. We see movie stars that, you know, they turn into animal welfare advocates, but we don't often see it the other way around. Temple Grandin is one of the few, and Monty Roberts is a big fan. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Debbie. How are you? Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. Glad to have you back. Yes, and I'm so excited. You're going to have uh, you're going to have my co-host and my friend Jamie's going to be joining you out at the farm here pretty soon, right? Next almost week. immediately. Yeah, yes, yeah. next week. That's right. Right after Fourth of July. So it'll be really fun. She's going to be here right on property, and I think we got it worked out that she can do her live show with you here. Right well, that's terrific. Me. That'll be Horses in the Morning. She's my co-host for Horses in the Morning. And tell everybody what she's coming out for. Well, I, you know, I think it's to get away from the heat. But no, <laughs> and, and, I mean, she's and, also... And, you know, this is her first break from her child uh, yeah, that she's had, actually, true. since she had the child about, uh, what, two, two and a half years ago. So like she's it. looking forward to some quiet time, too. She's getting some horsey time out here. She definitely will get a lot of horsey time. I know the mother-in-law is flying into Arizona for her, which is wonderful, and taking care. And I think she and Chad might drive out here together um, just to get the horses out here because she's bringing her two horses, um, which will be fun so that she can take care of them but also maybe maybe we do a little you know Monty concepts on them too but she will have uh, available to her some wild horses so this is called gentling wild horses and uh, we're going to have quite a variety of people we've got some of the People coming from England, and uh, we'll talk more about that. But uh, there's a little privacy issues there. But let's let's just say the word royal is involved, and um, we also have some people um, coming in from other parts of the world too. But it is a very elite group, not because. Uh, it's based on any levels. It's actually, we just have to keep it small, but we have opened it up to any level so that if a, a true person of that does not handle horses at all, I want to say a beginner, but maybe they don't even, they, they don't even have to be um, interested in training horses or being involved with horses. I think the actual psychology behind watching the gentling of the wild horses um, will be fascinating in itself. Um, we have had people interested in that from the educational world with children. We've had people from the veterans um, side of it with stress disorders um, interested in how that gentling happens because you take this wild, fractious, totally natural, it's it's a flight mechanism animal and and you actually engage them enough to earn their trust. And that is the coolest thing to watch. So I, I, I'm going to watch Jamie watching that. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, and I think she's going to have fun with that, especially after she's been working with her Mustang and doing very well with them, by the way. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. Thor, she's she's kind of gone the curve already, so it'll be interesting to see. I bet she'll be saying things like, I didn't even know I was doing that, right. but I actually was doing that. You right. know, that, that feeling yep. of, oh, that's why it worked, you know? Um, it, it is a discovery process like that, and it is two weeks, so it'll be really fun. Well, you know you're going to have to get up at six in the morning and join her on the show, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> That's true. There was That's dead she, silence on that one. I have to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be That's seeing okay. Debbie on the show anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> right, we, we might. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. You know how they say uh, silence says a thousand words. Yeah, well, right it says there. all the words you needed, right? <laughs> You know what I'm most worried about with Jamie, though? I don't know how to feed her. How are we going to feed this? Oh, uh, I don't know how you feed her either. <laughs> I, I don't know. She's a vegan, and, uh, you know, I, they don't eat anything but cardboard. So okay, if you that. just get some tofu and, like, a carrot or two, some- you'll be fine. <laughs> Might throw an avocado. You'll be fine. You know, we're going out to visit uh, her. We haven't ever been out to Phoenix in the five years we've been doing that show together. We've been never out 
to Phoenix to visit. So we're going to come out later in the year. We're going to try and get over to see you guys too. And uh, I, I said, uh, and we're staying at our house for a couple of days. And I said, I will be bringing my own food, you know. I don't. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not eating tofu burgers. I'm sorry. So we're, we're going out to dinner or something. Yeah. <laughs> She'll probably boot you out. That's all right. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're picking on her. But uh, good for her that she can do that. I bet she's, she's a healthier person than us, Glenn. <laughs> uh, she, she's, uh, she's looking good, too. She lost a lot of weight. And, you know, that's one of the reasons she went vegan. She had been always a vegetarian. But... Uh, vegan was a new thing. I couldn't give up no cheese. cheese. Oh, I couldn't give up yeah, cheese. I mean, I could probably give up meat before I gave up cheese. For sure. Yeah. For uh, sure. Don't I, take my cheese away. Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, we anyway, got to get on with the show. We got a lot to do. So to help me introduce Temple Grandin today, I'd like to bring in Dad, who's going to help us. Uh, Monty Roberts is going to be helping us uh, catch up with the latest uh, comings and goings, the globe trotting that he does um, it just in the last you're going to think it was the last three months. It's actually probably the last three weeks. So it's pretty amazing. But he is going to introduce uh, our our Temple Grandin today, our guest, and uh, the interview, and also tell us a little bit about the news. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Welcome back, Monty Roberts. I'm glad to have you on the show again. Wow. You're glad to have me on the show. I, I tell you, Debbie, you you have a father that could not be happier, more excited, or luckier than I am. It was an absolutely wonderful trip to England that I just got back from. Yeah, I wanted, to, beat- I wanted to have you catch up a little bit and tell us not only where you've been, but what you've been up to while you were there. Oh, Debbie, I was working with some willing partners horses and that kind of thing, and it was going beautifully. And I, I met a man there called a super vet. Um, and this guy, Fitzpatrick, Noel Fitzpatrick, you'll learn about him later. We're going to do some things with him. He's just an incredible human being, and all things were going well. And then there were two days, the 16th and 17th of June, that were set aside for meetings with the Queen. Right. And, Debbie, when those Queen meetings ended i i was just on cloud nine um i said to the appointment secretary that i viewed them as 11 out of 10 <laughs> and she said to me oh the queen said something different and i went oh, oh what was that <laughs> and she said the queen said that she was um so elated with the two meetings and that they were 10 out of 10 so i can't be exaggerating anymore Not they were 10 out of 10 <laughs> And and they really were. And uh, I I met with her the first day, the 16th, in order to give Colonel Perez his award for taking the violence out of the uh, training of yes. police Yes, tell us officers. about that. Tell us who oh, Colonel Debbie, Perez is. It was, yeah. it was so incredible. And they've taken my books and my concepts, and they're training their young policemen in a new way in Brazil to take the violence out. Um, originally, before my work came into play, they were killing 4,000 people a year. Mm-hmm. And we've had a graduating group on the streets of Sao Paulo, Brazil, for three years now without one gun-related incident. This and is between this man police, is, police and public, yeah? You're, yeah, you're talking, yeah, yeah, exactly. And this man, uh, Colonel Perez, um was over the moon about it and received his his uh, certificate and the queen was 
beaming with pride because if it wasn't for her uh, endorsement of me and encouragement of me, they never would have heard of me in the police department at at uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Yeah, and it was my it was the book that the Queen demanded from me that was the turning point for these people. So, so how how, how did that, he? How did he use your books down there? First of all, they're Portuguese versions, I assume. He used your books how to to change the cadets. Well, they first of all, we have Eduardo Moraida down there, and he went in and and um, he took the translated books and went through all of my principles of taking violence away from the routine of uh, people in business, people in working with horses, people working with other animals or children, um, all of these things. And they took off on that, Horse Sense for People, and my book, The Man Who Listens to Horses, and they pulled those principles out and and made teaching points of them Mm -hmm. and took uh, shoot first and ask questions later away Mm -hmm. from the table and, and turned them around. It was incredible. Um, now, there, there's God. cavalry. There, there's a cavalry there, right? That they they're actually involved in horses. So there is some um, yeah, feeling and of a mounted, yeah. mounted police force, right? Uh, so horses do come into play, but but these people, many of them, have never ridden a horse. Uh, oh. They're just cops on the street, oh. and oh. so um, it isn't just the cavalry or the mounted police, it is simply a change in mental attitude toward dealing with people, taking the violence away. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. So, so, so Colonel Perez, sec- used, yeah, go ahead. The second meeting was about all things happening in South America and other places um, in the past year or two. And uh, we have Miguel Lupiano coming up today with a group of Brazilians and um, they don't give me any time to rest, Debbie. I'm I'm back here just a, a day or so, and then, boom, <laughs> 20 Brazilians coming in with Miguel Lupiano, who has yeah. become an instructor now in my concepts, um, who is from Brazil, actually from the capital, Brasilia, and uh, he will be my translator here, and it'll be fantastic. They're coming in this afternoon, but he, he wrote a letter to the Queen about his first class down there and she saw photographs of about 50 people in his first class which is fantastic mm-hmm. and um and then he wrote how things are changing in brazil based upon my concepts and they're trying to get me now to go back to portaleza in the northeast of brazil um to do a series of uh demonstrations there which we're working on at this moment in time and we have a man coming in who's heading up that movement to get me to go down to Portaleza. So we had the two meetings, and the second one, Debbie, was in the tack room with the queen in riding clothes so that we could have this 30, 40-minute meeting, and then she would just get on her horse and ride away waving at us. It was unbelievable. That's amazing. Yeah, and the queen was really happy about doing it. It, um, Uh You know, it was comfortable for her. Mm -hmm. And... uh, yeah, we're we're moving on to the next um, one to come in. Are the Queen's kids coming over here to do a gentling the wild horse, yeah, or untouched horse um, yeah. Uh, course? And then I have Monty special training August three through seven, and I think there's right. some spaces available on that one and on Good. the gentling one too. And um, and then we yeah, have a riding. One, resp- yeah, Jamie Jennings is is uh, going to be there with your gentling. Wild horses, and she's going to be there with some people from the Queen's stable, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michelle Murat um, mm-hmm. and and others. So mm-hmm. that'll be fun. And then yeah, we have a riding well. with respect one coming up August one and two. Um, oh, yeah, those are fun. Tell us about riding with respect. What do you do in that? What do, what is Monty doing? Well, it, it just as it implies in its title, um, it's the learning of dealing with a horse while you're in the saddle. Uh, without demand, force, and intimidation. In other words, to create an environment so that the horse wants to do what you're asking and you don't have to get tough on them with whips and spurs and all sorts of things. Uh, I'm not against either whips or spurs. I'm only against those that are used for pain. And uh, spurs can be a uh, communications tool and whips can too. 
but oftentimes they're used in a different way. Each of them can be used for pain, and I'm, I'm into taking that out of it because I think it's a more effective way to communicate with your horse and get the horse to cooperate with you, and it works a treat. Um, and then when those are completed, I'm off to uh, England for the entire month of October for a tour there, and uh, Debbie, I think you have it up on the website as mm-hmm. to dates and and places. We do uh, yeah. for the tour in um, in in England. Yeah, how many years and, is uh, this now? What what year will this be now? Circa um, this will be twenty twenty seven or eight um, yeah. uh, touring touring in England. Uh, it, it's been incredible. It's it's a, it's over fifty now tours. Um, it's it's way over two or three hundred individual demonstration evenings. Yeah. And um we we haven't had a failure yet, Debbie. We're still looking for that one. I'm like I tell on everybody I tell everybody, Debbie, that if I can't load your horse, I'll oh. ride him home for you. Oh good. <laughs> and I and it's cold over there in October and raining generally. And I haven't had to ride one home yet. So yeah, stay tuned. Stuffed in there somewhere. <laughs> you know, stay tuned. I, I, I may have, I I may know, have I to get a big believe. raincoat and ride one home. <laughs> I cover for your hat. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing, though, that you've not been late for one. You've not missed an airplane for one. You, I mean, think about what, what I don't even want to think know. about. It. I don't know what the chances are that that can I happen know. for anything, meetings, much I less. Know. And the stress of it all, Debbie, is, is toughest. The stress of it all is toughest for me in all of that logistics stuff, you know? When I get to the round pin, that's where I relax and really have fun. Um, and I, I guess, you know, I've, I've recently come to the conclusion that why I have never had stage fright is that my father was so tough on me um, when I was growing up, but he was never tough on me when I was in front of an audience. That wouldn't do well for him. So he left me alone, and I guess subliminally I just um, migrated toward audiences, and they were a safe place to be. Mm. And uh, so I'm I'm still loving what I do. Uh, I've passed the 80 mark now, um, and they're still bringing me Hannibal Lecter everywhere I go. But yeah. uh, it's it's absolutely a joy to do the things I'm doing. And um, working with the Queen's yearlings this time, I didn't go to the races at all. Everybody was so excited about Royal uh, Ascot. Uh, yeah. Ascot. And, um, and I was finishing with meetings with the Queen at about oh, 10, 30, or 11 o'clock in the morning. And then off she goes to the races, all dressed up and in a carriage. Mm-hmm. And I go out to the Polehampton uh, where I deal with the yearlings and work with the yearlings in the round pen and stuff, but they have a wonderful team there now that I've been working with for three years, and it's so much fun to watch them become absolutely world-class horse people that are uh, just doing a super job of bringing those babies up to to the racing industry. That's no, wonderful um, you're, sh- you're sharing with them. Does the queen get out there to see the horses when you're there? Oh, she does, yeah, but uh-huh. I'm not supposed to say that. Oh, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> we'll take that back. No, uh, you know, this thing that we have with the Queen, um, she is so underselling herself all the time. Mm-hmm. And my role has become to show the world how influential this wonderful lady is for good mm-hmm. um, globally. She is just the, the most influential world leader we have ever known. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a global basis for good. Um, she's now in her 64th year as a world leader, 64th wow. year. Imagine that. And um, next year I've announced to her that I want to be front and center in the center space, riding a horse mm-hmm. in her 90th Jubilee, uh, oh. 90th birthday Jubilee uh, next year. And, um, and she can said, you certainly will. Oh, so, so you can announce that and she approved. Okay, nice. Well, she <laughs> said it would be fine. So okay. We'll awesome. see. There there probably are people that will have some other idea um, in, in the end, but Her Majesty has been incredibly yes. cooperative and a patron of Join Up International, yes. which is um, uh, something that's never been done by a monarch before. 
where they are patron to a non-UK mm-hmm. uh, non-profit global organization that's mm-hmm. outside the UK, based outside the UK. That's mm-hmm. never happened before. But Her Majesty said yes to becoming a patron, and she now is patron to it. Mm-hmm. And she's encouraging. One of the meetings was about what's happening in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line of that has, in 2019, a target to affect 1,600,000 people taking violence out of the homes and families. So um, yeah. how could a man be happier or more gratified than I would be at this point in time? It's, it's just been um, something that Sister Agnes Patricia would be proud of. She was my Yes, she teacher. would. She would. She would. This sounds like a lot more fun than going fishing. Yeah, you know, I thought I was going to have fun going fishing. What a boring <laughs> thing that is. Um, <laughs> I know you things, like it, though. I, I know I there's it, choices. But, there's but choices. things are happening too good to stop for fishing. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Well, I wonder if you might help us introduce um, a, a a soundbite, really, that we have coming for our listeners today of an earlier recorded interview you did with Temple Grandin uh, Listen, in front of... When you, yeah, uh-huh. when you ask me about Temple Grandin, I'm front and center and ready to salute. Awesome. Temple Grandin is one of the most wonderful people on the face of this earth, and I would put her behind only the queen because she she is a person without any negative traits whatsoever, she is severely autistic and lives with it and does the best with it and has used it as a blessing and not a challenge. Uh, Temple Grandin is a nonviolent person. Temple Grandin is autistic but has worked out the best ways to handle cattle, sheep, hogs, and horses globally. And uh, nothing could make me happier than to say, listen to Temple Grandin. I listen to her all the time. And I will allow her to answer my questions brought to me because she is the final answer and the definitive flight animal mm-hmm. on, in a human body. Um, I love her to death. Temple Grandin is great. Thank you. That's a great, strong endorsement from you, and I knew that was true. So, Well, thanks very much today. Do you have any other, anything else going on? I say ridiculously. Well, I'm, I'm going to meet the Brazilian group right now, Debbie. Okay. So have a finish up here and have a good time. And I'll be back with you when you ask me to. Well, as Dad was saying, Temple Grandin is an amazing person. She is an author, a teacher, a public speaker, uh, really well-known in the cattle industry as a consultant. She's known for her advocacy in in this area and other areas as well. Um, In part, she might be the most famous in the world um, as a person with autism. Temple Grandin is a PhD and, and the most accomplished and well-known adult in the autism world. Um, her, Dr. Grandin is presently the professor at, or a professor at, in animal science at Colorado State University, and she speaks all over the world on both autism and cattle handling. She's been featured on NPR, the National Public Radio here in the U.S., major television programs, The Today Show, 48 Hours, 2020. And uh, she's written many books, and she's been written about in many books. Uh, You'll see her in Time Magazine, People Magazine. Uh, One of my favorite things is uh, the the movie that was made by her same name, Temple Grandin, with Claire Danes. And um, she's authored books called The Way I See It, A Personal Look at Autism and Asperger's, Animals Make Us Human, Animals in Translation, Thinking in Pictures, and she's produced several DVDs. Let's listen in on this wonderful interview. It's Monty Roberts. Well, hi, how are you doing? It's really good to talk to you. It's great to speak with you. And um, we've been watching... A movie um, that you had a lot to do with, and um, I have here 18 of uh, my uh, certified instructors from around the world, and uh, you can list them as some of your greatest fans. Well, thank you so much. It's really um, great to talk to you. I just got off the plane from Chicago. Okay. You know, I was I was just watching the movie and thinking how many people come so critical of me and say, you just run the horse around in circles, and uh, that's a terrible thing to do. It's stressful. And I was thinking about your... And I tell them that 
Horses live in circles and you can't really drive them away. They'll circle around and be behind you and and they just don't believe me. And then I've been criticized greatly also for putting them in a, in a chute to gentle them. And um, I find that they drop their, their stress levels uh, greatly. And um, I was doing all this and taking criticism for it parallel with the times you were working with the cattle. Well, the thing is, lots of times uh, people that do something that they don't but they get criticized. And, you know, I'm sorry, now there's a lot. See, that what's happened is, is um, there's an old saying, the uh, pioneers get shot and the settlers get the land. <laughs> and another thing that tends to happen is uh, there's a quote uh, that I got from a greeting card company in the 70s that uh, talks about, uh, you know, the um, problem with being ahead of your time is that when people realize it was you were right, they will say it was obvious all along. Yeah, exactly. Like, choices in life. You can uh, go out and be distinct. You can fade into the mainstream, or you can go out and be distinct and be what only you can be. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I know I know it from first-hand experience. And uh, I, I also noted, made a note of the fact that uh, stress uh, equals calling. And the, when you said they don't call because they don't want to call in the predators, I've told that to so many people and they just look at me like I have two heads because they, they don't know what a predator is, I suppose. Well, of course, a lot of natural behaviors that grazing animals have, you know, are behaviors that, you know, protect them from predators. Exactly. And, and uh, like the animal, uh, you know, sees something novel, puts its head up, uh, keep its distance, uh, turn and then watch something. That's uh, behavior that evolved for, against predators. Now, I think part of the problem is a lot of the people that are really into natural horsemanship, they... Um, they really care about animals, so it's hard for them to understand this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have in this room, and I don't know how much time you have. I want to be um, under understanding of the time that you have. Uh, so you tell me what we ought to do here. Well, maybe I could answer a few questions. One of the things, I hope we're on speakerphone now, that I think it's really important for people to understand is what I call sensory-based thinking where an animal's memories are going to be stored as sound, pictures, specific smells, touch sensation. It's not in words. So you're dealing with much more specific memories. Like in my book, Animals in Translation, there's a horse in there that got terrified of black cowboy hats because somebody threw alcohol in his eyes during a veterinary procedure. So now black hats were bad and white hats were good. Yeah. See, that is specific. And when you think in words, you tend to overgeneralize. I find all the time when I'm talking to people about behavior problems with animals, people overgeneralize. So say something, well, what do I do about my berserk horse? Well, I don't have enough information to even begin to answer that question. Like, where does he go berserk? In this one case, only place the horse got agitated was in the cross ties. And I go, that's an easy one. Stop using cross ties. Because if you can remove that, things that straight up from his life. That's an easy one. I don't have to use cross ties. Another common one is a horse has been abused with a twisted wire bit, and so the horse is afraid of all jointed bits. Well, stop using jointed bits. Those are the easy ones. Yeah. But too often in behavior problems, trouble people overgeneralize. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um we have so many people that come up and and start out by saying, I have this really stubborn horse. And, uh, you know, that horse was born and was uh, his mother loved him and somebody made him stubborn or those things that appear to be stubborn to us. Well, it abused him. I mean, you have a horse that's got high-strung genetics and it's been abused. Um, you can get fear memories. And it's like a post-traumatic stress syndrome. You know, some veterans have a very hard time getting over post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yeah. And you've got differences in how fearful horses are genetically. So you have a high fear uh, Arab is going to um, respond much more badly to abuse than a horse that does not get as scared as people. 
I noticed that you didn't use the word disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I said PTSD. I mean, that's the abbreviation for it. I just don't think it's a disorder. I think it's an injury. I, I agree with you. I think it actually is an injury to the nervous system, where you've got the nervous system so jacked up on fear, it doesn't readjust. And there are genetic effects on the tendency to get post-traumatic stress. You know, not every veteran that's been in a horrible situation gets it. And that difference is in genetics. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that because... These people that hear that they have a disorder have a tendency to believe it'll never heal and injuries heal and disorders are believed to be something you keep with you for life. No, no, no. PTSD is actually an injury to the nervous system. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, well, I'm trying to change the world to PTSI and, uh, and let it go because uh, my, my clinics are, are telling me that they prefer injury to disorder. Well, you just say post-traumatic stress and leave it at that, you know. Or leave it at that. No. Just leave it at that, but it's a, um, uh, it is an injury. You push the nervous system to the point where it's sort of like burning out a circuit board. Exactly. You know, injuring your electronics. Exactly. Okay, uh, in this room, uh, I just want to tell you that we have uh, now the furthest country or the most exotic country uh, uh, would be Latvia. Okay. And then we have Hungary here and Italy here and England and United States all the way back to, uh, I guess, Las Vegas. Okay. We have Scandinavia here with uh, Denmark and Sweden and, and um, Finland. So uh, your, your diverse audience is sitting here wrapped in your words. Well, maybe they might have some questions. Maybe. Let's see. This is Kirsty from Scotland. Hello, Temple. I just want... Hi. What is one of the biggest misconceptions most people have about how animals think or perceive the world um, that you, you think that we should try and... Um, get better information out there to, to people? Well, there's evidence that animals are sensory-based thinkers. I've talked about that in my book, um, Animals in Translation. In fact, since that book has been written, there's two studies, the scientific studies now, that kind of illustrate this. One was by Lerner and Finch from Germany, and they habituated a horse to the sudden opening of a blue and white umbrella, so where the horse was no longer afraid of that. Now, if you took an orange uh, canvas or a piece of cloth and flapped it all around, the horse became afraid of that. You know, a blue and white umbrella looks very different than an orange canvas flapping all around. So habituation to the specific umbrella did not generalize to flapping big orange things that looked completely different. Um, another study done by Ronaldo Cook from... Um, Oregon State University, published in the Journal Animal Science, showed that cattle that are very, very tame do um, hand-feeding people going up and feeding them and getting very tame. That did not transfer to putting them in the crowds for the first time. Now, one of the things that I've observed is with um, cattle is you can have cattle on a western ranch, very, very extensive, ride up to them with a horse, very tame, get within a meter or so of them, very close to them, very tame. But then when the man gets off the horse and walks around on foot, the cattle run away because that's a different picture. Man on a horse, think about it. Man on a horse, man walking on the ground is a completely different picture. And it's very important to get your cattle trained both, the man on the horse and the man on the ground, before they leave your ranch. Because you can get into some very dangerous situations where those cattle may go to an auction market or go somewhere else, and they have to be handled by people on foot, and they are getting afraid and running over people because the flight zone has gone from one meter to ten meters. I'm so happy that you brought that um, story into it because I have developed a thing called Centaur where head-shy horses, head-shy from clipper, yeah. clippers and that sort of thing, 
if you get on another horse and ride up to them, you're a different animal and they will accept the clippers while you're on that horse and then you can gradually trans translate it or transmit it, uh, transition it to someone on the ground and uh, it's quite successful. Well, you see, because it's now something new and Kurt Tate, who does a lot of work on cattle handling, says that one of the ways to train the, the uh, cattle for the man on foot is to, is to have the man get off the horse and be beside the horse. Yeah, and then the same thing. And then gradually get further and further away. And then Super. finally take the horse out of the picture. And that's the same thing. We all hear about omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition. But why? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live, natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses, and it's critical to the horse's health. If they were living on live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking in omega-3. That's where Omega Fields comes in. All of Omega Fields' flax-based products provide a balanced, essential profile of Omega-369 and may be helpful in alleviating problems related to skin, coat, hoof, joint, and sand colic. One of Omega Fields' terrific products is Omega Horse Shine. Omega Horse Shine is an Omega-3 stabilized ground flaxseed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all life stages. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade, non-GMO ground flax that can help horses with dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and more. Don't just listen to Debbie and I. Alexandra, a customer of Omega Field, says any horse I ever own, I will feed them Omega Horse Shine, and I will recommend it to anyone. You can get your Omega Horse Shine today at OmegaFields.com, or just for our listeners, get 15% off using the coupon code MONTY2015. All one word, it's MONTY2015 for 15% off your next order at OmegaFields.com. That's OmegaFields.com. Thank you for that. I have Ian Vandenberg here from uh, England in Whitney in Oxfordshire. Hi, Temple. Hi, how are you? Uh, I want, uh, fine, thank you. I wonder if you can help us uh, with some advice on how to deal with a horse that's got chronic um, stable vices like crib biting and so on. How can we help them out? Uh, cribbing is really difficult to stop. It's an addiction. I think the emphasis has to be, <coughs> excuse me, on preventing cribbing in the first place. And having access to pasture, having access to long hay, plenty of long, real hay, not just pellets. That helps to uh, correct, uh, helps to prevent cribbing. Once it gets started, it's extremely difficult to get rid of cribbing. It's one of those things we have to try to stop it from starting in the first place. Yeah, prevention and not cure in the case of cribbing. Yeah, eh? Very, very, very hard to get rid of cribbing. Uh, yeah, you put a cribbing strap on, and as soon as you take it off, they start doing it again. We have Stephanie coming up from Berlin in Germany. Okay. Hi, hello. I was wondering what would be the different feeling in a horse when I first train from the ground, especially goes through to water, and then when I'm sitting, riding on the horse, I have to do the whole process again, but what, what would be the feeling inside the horse, the difference? Why, they, why won't they transfer what I did from the ground directly to the riding? Well, the horse, horses' brains, all animal brains, make categories. A real common one with dogs is when I'm on the leash, animals make categories. For example, a dog on leash protects its owner. A dog off the leash can go and play. Now, the, the horse may have a different category for when you're riding him through the water versus trying to lead him through the water. So it may be some of the same thing as the thing with the clippers. That when the clippers were presented by horseback, that opened up a new file folder in the animal brain that did not trigger the fear mess. I think I'll talk a little bit about emotions. 
Jack Tenskep, <coughs> a neuroscientist, um, has a book called um, uh, uh, On Emotions and Animals. Jack Tenskep. It's J A. It's called J A A K, and his book is called Affective Neuroscience. That's affective with an A as an apple, and he discusses the basic emotional systems in animal brains. And these are absolutely proven in neuroscience. You have fear, then you have rage that enables you to fight a predator off. You have um, seeking, you know, animal approaches novelty and put a flag out in the middle of a pasture and the horses will walk up to it. That is seeking. And then you've got um, separation stress. You take the mom away from the baby and the animals get very upset. And separation distress is a separate emotion from fear. They're both really kind of scary, bad things, but fear works on a different brain system than separation distress. And then you have mother-young nurturing, that's the oxytocin system, sex, of course, and then plot. And this is uh, this is uh, core neuroscience. It's uh, absolutely proven. You know, some people like to say animals don't have emotions. I think that's ridiculous. But so when my black hat horse saw the uh, the black cowboy hat, he immediately got a fear. Okay, that picture of the hat caused a fear emotion. You see, it's sensory-based. you got to get away from words. You sort of think about, if I was showing a PowerPoint presentation, and I suddenly showed a slide without warning of a very scary-looking snake, you would probably get a fear reaction. That is sensory-based. Reaction. Which equals emotion. Well, yes, because if I suddenly, uh, let's say I was showing a PowerPoint about statistics, I just suddenly put a scary snake slide in the middle of a boring statistics presentation, I think most people would get a fear, have a little fear reaction when I showed that. A big snake with his fangs coming out, didn't know that picture was coming, I just put that up on the screen and boom, that would be. A fear reaction. Or you see a cute puppy and you want to pet the picture. That's the nurture emotion. Right. That's sensory-based. You see, you do that without um, without words. Exactly. That's the way an animal experiences things. Okay, next, say your name and country. Hi, Temple. My name is Sarah. I'm from Sweden. Okay. I'm back on the on the question about cribbing. I was just wondering if the cribbing strap, if you put that on a horse who, who already has started cribbing, is that stressful for them? Well, it stops it while it's on. Yeah, but is it stressful to have the cribbing strap on? I don't really know. I do know that there's some genetic differences in cribbing, and there are some studies. You might want to look them up on Google Scholar on typing cribbing in horses and uh, horses that are just fed a lot of concentrate and not fed long hay or pasture that takes time to eat. This is an animal that, you know, normally spends hours and hours grazing. If you feed him pellets and he eats in five minutes, then he has nothing to do with his mouth. And that's how the cribbing gets started. I don't know how stressful it would be to put the cribbing strap on, but there's horses that would chew the barn down if you, if you didn't do it. Right. Thank you. Hello, I'm Christiane from Italy. And I'd like yes. to ask you, in Italy, the pet therapy and the equine-assisted therapy is growing. It's getting bigger. And I'd like to know your personal opinion about it. Oh, some kids really respond well to equine therapy. And there's a lot of different types of equine therapy. I have talked to a number of parents where their child did some of their first words on a horse. There's different ways of doing it. You can do it where you teach riding, you do the more German hippotherapy, you do uh, just taking care of horses. A lot of a lot of different ways. And do you think in those type of therapies we are missing something? There should be something added, which is not in in yet. Well, in equine therapy, a lot of these things it depends upon the teacher that's also doing it too. That's a very important part of it. because you use the horse as kind of a of a way to get the the, the the person interested, and a good teacher and a good therapist is just so important. Okay. Okay. Thank you.
once more. Hello, Temple. Um, it's Kirsty from Scotland again. I was the first question. It's inspiring how much you've achieved and how well you function in a world that's not really built for you. But I just wondered if it's got easier over the years or if you if there are still things that you find very difficult on a daily basis. You always keep learning. People are always looking for single magic turning point, but you always keep learning. And I talk about that in some of my books. You might want to read my book, uh, Thinking in Pictures. I also discuss how meditation helps me with my anxiety. But when it comes to social, you always keep learning to add information to the database. I'm a bottom-up thinker. When you think in words, you tend to be very top-down in how you think, overgeneralized. Bottom-up thinkers, it's very specific. It's sort of like putting more and more web pages into my mind than they Google that I have in my mind as more web pages search, and then you know how to act in, in different situations. Temple, thank you. It's Monty Roberts again. And um, Temple, I've studied you carefully. And what do you think is the difference between you and many people born close to your pattern? What's the difference of why did you make it so uh, immensely, successfully, and others have not. What's what's the trigger? Well, let's talk about the segment of autism that becomes fully verbal. Autism is a very big spectrum. You know, some kids, even though they get very good early education, they're not becoming fully verbal. So let's take the kids that become fully verbal, um, you know, and, and in many of their subjects have no intellectual impairment. I think part of the problem is they're not learning social skills. You see, a kid with autism has to taught social skills. In the 50s, in our generation, kids were taught social skills in a more rigid way. You were taught to shake hands with people. Another thing is uh, the TV watching was limited. Back when I was, we didn't even have TV until I was five, and TV barely existed when I was a young child. Uh, too many kids today are just uh, watching all the video games. And, and another big problem is they're not learning work skills. You know, when I was 13, my mother got me my first job uh, doing some freelance sewing. When I was 15, I was uh, cleaning horse stalls every day and taking care of a horse barn. Uh, and that's learning work skills. And that's one of the things some of these kids are not learning. you got to stretch these kids. I was absolutely not allowed to become a recluse in my room. you got to get kids out doing things. Another thing is build on strength. When I was in elementary school, my ability in art was always encouraged. Now, you might have another kid in elementary school, third or fourth grade, eight or nine years old, that's very good at math. And what you need to do with that child is, is to let him do more advanced math. Don't make him do baby math. Let him do advanced math. Uh, but I know a lot of people that are my age that I know are on the spectrum that are doing well. Yesterday, I was at Fairming Lab. And I got to go in all the offices and places. I found people all over that place that are undiagnosed on the spectrum. They're physicists. They're engineers. They're doing the drawings for the equipment. They're making some of the equipment. And I had some very interesting discussions on how they got into this successful career. And they had good teachers in high school that introduced them to mathematics or engineering or drafting or um, machine shop. Uh, one of the problems we've got today is kids are not getting exposed to enough clear things. Schools have taken out the hands-on classes, which is terrible. There's a huge shortage in this country right now, auto mechanics. But I got interested in cattle because I was exposed to them as a teenager. And in talking to like 10 different people at Fermi Lab, very successful people, how they got into their careers... They all had exposure to, uh, to it in high school, either through a teacher or parents that were involved in, in working in math or physics or engineering. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's so super. Um, it goes right along. We have, all, as I say, all these instructors here, and it goes right along with what I'm encouraging them to do. So I'm, um, I'm really feeling positive about what you're saying, and it... It, um, it dovetails. Lucy from Germany, 
And I heard you earlier saying about something about the twisted wire, and I wonder if you can say a few more sentences about the twisted wire. Oh, the twisted wire? Well, there's some really horrible bits that people can buy, and it's a horrible bit made out of twisted wire that will cut horses' mouths. And some really bad, horrible trainers use this, and, and it hurts the horse's mouth. And it's a jointed bit. You know, a Western bridle, a typical Western bit, it's a solid, welded, one-piece bit. Or this twisted wire thing, and a snaffle, that's a, a good bit, is jointed in the middle. So what happens is the horse develops the category, jointed bits are bad. And I know several horses where that had been hurt with a really bad kind of jointed bit. And they just put a one-piece, a Western bit in its mouth, a solid one-piece, no moving part that go in the horse's mouth. And he was fine because their memories are specific. So it's like opening up a new file on your computer. And there's no fear memories in that new file. Okay. See, that's one of the easy behavior fixes. I can control what bit to use. Or maybe you go with a hackamore. But I know several parts where eliminating and never using a jointed bit solved the problem because I now had a new file open on in the brain's computer with no fear memories in it. And then I'm very careful with the new bit not to do something bad. Hello Temple, this is Anna from Germany. And uh, I heard you talking and I think you're really savvy with technology, but at the same time you really know a lot about animal behavior. My question is if you also work with uh, people, like people in management and how they, how, I don't know, leaders in companies work with their people, do you also do that or no? Well, actually I've been doing things, I've been doing a talk I call Different Kinds of Minds. You might be interested in my book called The Autistic Brain, because when I was at Family Lab yesterday, I talked about how there's different kinds of thinkers. You have visual thinkers like me, very good at animal behavior, designing equipment. Then you have the more mathematical thinkers. Uh, they think in patterns. Instead of pictures, it's patterns. Think mathematics, organic chemistry, physics. And then you have word thinkers. And I talked about how the different kinds of minds work together. Let's take a product like an iPhone. Steve Jobs was an artist. So an artist made the interface, and the engineers had to make that interface, but the artist invented work. Okay, at Fermi Lab, you have physicists that think up things so abstract I don't understand it. But then you have engineers and people that make drawings and people that do the custom metal work to make the equipment. So at one end, you've got the physicists who are mathematicians, have other people like me that have to actually build the stuff. You see, that, again, is different kinds of minds. It, it's, uh, it, and, and it took me a long time to realize that not everybody in the world brought in pictures the way I did. Okay. And, and I think um, my book, uh, The Autistic Brain, on helping different kinds of minds to succeed uh, would be something you'd be really interested in. And I'm open translation. I talk about visual thinking. Uh, it's in the management stuff, um, the autistic brain. I read the second half of it. Um, one of the important things is, is writing down how how to do stuff. I've done that on my webpage for cattle. I have a book called Humane Livestock Handling on cattle handling. I've got some textbooks on genetics and the behavior of domestic animals. Somebody who's a professor might be that teaches a class might be interested in that book. It's a, Textbooks that's a little bit expensive. Genetics and the Behavior of Domestic Animals, Temple Brandon and Mark Deefing, editors. If you're if you're into dogs, I really like uh, Patricia McConnell's uh, material. She has a very nice book on uh, on the emotions of dogs, how to read their body language. I think um, reading body language in animals is extremely important. You've got a tail swishing in a horse, uh, that horse is starting to get fearful. Um, looking at things, ear position, um, looking at small changes in, in body posture. And she does that beautifully for dogs. I'm seeing too many of these autistic kids, um, they're not learning work skills. One of the best things you can do with them is put them out in a horse barn and, and, and 
I uh, I went to very expensive boarding school, and for the first two years I was there, I basically I cleaned horse stalls, took care of horses. I think the headmaster realized I was learning working skills. And in the second two years I was there, I got introduced to my fabulous science teacher. Because he came in two years later. I did, but this learning how to work, I think, is a big problem for a lot of the fully verbal kids with autism and they're getting addicted to video games. That's another big problem. Because I can think of kids I went to college with and people I have worked with on on construction projects that I know are on a sector. And a lady came up to me yesterday at Fermilab and she said, I listened to your talk. You know what? I'm autistic. (laughs) She came up to me last night. She had gray hair, probably in her 50s. Well, I you know, but you see, in, the, in her generation and my generation, these social skills were pounded in. Kids were taught work skills. They were taught basic right and wrong. <laughs> and that's not being done the same way today. And then all of the video games. I'm hearing parents say, well, he's 21. He's playing video games all day. I can't get him out of the basement. Yeah. That's the whole problem with the work skills. And some of the best things you could do with some of these kids is you put them out on a ranch somewhere. And, and work with animals would be the best thing you could do with them. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad I could be with you today by far. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In today's trainer's tip, Monty Roberts certified instructor from Hungary, Kata Pataki, explains how she discerns good trainers. Welcome back. Kata Pataki, thank you for agreeing to come back all the way from Hungary, well, by Skype anyway, to give us a a tip. We had so much fun on our interview, and we wanted to um, get a little bit of knowledge. You've worked with horses for so long, and you have such a a deep background. So what would you like to share with our listeners today? That's a tip from Kata Pataki. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Hi again. So um, um, a trainer... um, I, I really uh, studying at the moment is uh, Richard Winters, yes, and Richard um, yes. first I, I met him at Montes University, and then I I just got deep into his um, approach and training method uh, with horses, and and I like his way a lot too. Um, and uh, Sandy Collier is the other one I really Sandy like. I got her book and uh, DVDs and all the things. So uh, I think there are a lot of good trainers out there. And um, I think there is always, we can learn from anybody. Um, and this is very, very cool. And as I, as I mentioned in my previous interview, is Florian is really, really um, special, I think, <laughs> as a trainer. So... That's excellent. So, so I'll interpret here. So, Monty has Monty Roberts has his Equus Online University, which he developed for just the reasons that you um, said. So, thank you for that plug for the university. But it's Monty Roberts University, and what you said was you went on there and you watched three different uh, trainers. And I'm, two of them are kind of from the Western world, Richard Winters, who's lovely man, and uh, Sandy Collier, who's an amazing uh, reined cow horse uh, woman, trainer. And then Florian Oberpoliter from Austria is a, a liberty trainer and a horseman over there. So, And you've met all of them or you just met them on the university? Uh, I um, Unfortunately, I only met them at Mondes University and I plan to... Uh, invite Richard uh, next year to Hungary, and I also um, wrote a couple of re- letters uh, from Sandy, too, so uh, um, I, I always trying to get some trainers into into Hungary, because I think that um, this is always um, give my business and my knowledge a lot, because yes. I think 
we need always need to learn more and uh it, it's a never-ending story so um, absolutely yeah very good i mean the combined hours those people have put into horses richard winters from um he actually started a little bit later he's a little bit like you had a, a first career and then sandy collier's been on horses her whole life we've had her on this radio um show and uh florian um it, it has been around horses his whole life too i bet there's a combined nearly 100 years between them right there so you're a wise woman and that's a great tip and to see more about Monty Roberts and all of his dates that he was talking about earlier and also to get tickets for any of the events that he was talking about earlier, you can go to MontyRoberts.com. That's probably a, a good place to start. Or if you want to, you can actually dial the phone. I know it's <laughs> something we don't often do anymore, but 805 688 6288. There's some great people out there who can help you and answer any questions you have about any of the events coming up at MontyRoberts.com. For details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Facebook.com slash MontyRoberts and on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. And to get the Horse Radio Network app, you go to iTunes or Android at the App Store and just search for Horse Radio Network. It's free, it's easy, and you can listen to all eight of the shows on the network on the app. That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors, IFA.com, Omega Fields, and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>